The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Good morning. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel as well as our radio listeners and web listeners across the globe. We are so happy you're here and worship with us this morning. We would like to welcome you into this space and have you know that wherever you are on your spiritual path and on your path in life, you have a home here. We would like to especially with, offer a warm welcome to our guest speaker, Reverend Stephen Cady from the Asbury First United Methodist Church in New York. We'd also welcome his family, his wife, Emily, and his children, Ellie, Charlie, and Hannah. I can personally attest to what a great minister, teacher, and preacher he is. We look forward to hearing you this morning. Also, we'd like to let you know that uh, the Dean of the Chapel, Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is away for the summer, but he'll be returning to us next week. In the meantime, you can look at his preaching schedule on the back of your bulletin. Let us stand as you are able and praise God.
Let us pray together. O oh God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us come together to reflect and confess our sins as the choir sings our Kyrie. Have mercy on us, Lord. Hear the good news. There is more love in God than sin in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in praying responsively verses from Psalm 139 with the Antiphon. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. And now, beloved, rise up in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Deo, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Glory to you, O Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, 
The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. I want to extend my deepest thank you to the people of Marsh Chapel, to the staff and to the chaplains. It is an honor to be a part of this series. It's a particular honor to be a part of this series with people with whom I have had so much respect and grown so much over the years. It's great to be a part of the Great Pulpits of Northern Methodism series. I extend a special welcome and greeting from the people of Asbury First United Methodist Church in sunny Rochester, New York. And in particular from our senior minister, the Reverend Susan Schaefer, who extends her regrets at being unavailable to preach here earlier this summer. Shall we pray? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's a boy, George Alexander Louis. On Monday afternoon, the world waited on pins and needles to hear about the birth of the new heir to the throne of England. It was by all accounts a momentous occasion, filled with shouts of joy, the ringing of bells, and many, many souvenirs. Sure, there were, and continue to be, critics. Those who ask rightly why we would celebrate the birth of one uber-privileged child when we virtually ignore the hundreds of thousands of poor children being born into our world each and every day. And to be fair, they have a point. After all, as a people of faith, we know that every child born into this world matters just as much as the royal baby. But, as a people of faith, we also know that new life is new life. And whenever we experience it, Wherever we experience it, we have reason to celebrate. And frankly, couldn't we use a reason to celebrate about now? Couldn't we use a little good news? After all, we've experienced our fair share of bad news lately. We felt our fair share of pain and strife and death. We felt it here on the sidewalks of Boston. We felt it in the courtrooms of Florida. We felt it from the streets of Egypt and Syria. And as we know from experience, sometimes it's only those little reminders of new life, no matter how small, that keep us going. So when we find it, we have reason to celebrate.
But we also know from experience that whether we celebrate it or not, new life, no matter what form, is not easy. No, as William and Kate are no doubt discovering with their new, very tangible form of new life, it isn't easy. It doesn't matter whether we are young or old, rich or poor, black or white, gay or straight. Having a baby is not easy. It's not. It's an entirely new way of life. There's crying. Lots and lots of it. There's feeding. Lots and lots of it. There is the end result of feeding. Lots and lots of it. In other words, friends, even new life itself comes with its challenges. It's worth it, but it's hard. And we of all people should understand, after all, as Christians, we too believe in a way of life that is much more than we could have ever bargained for, full of responsibilities and frustrations and sticking our hands into things that we don't want to touch. But like a new parent, once we've experienced it, fully experienced it, we couldn't live any other way. And so today, after a week in which the world paused to celebrate new life, we pause just a moment longer to consider just what new life means. Aiding us on our journey today is the Gospel according to Mark. Now some will remember that the Gospel of Mark is the first Gospel written as early as 30 years after the death of Jesus. It was written to a community that would have had to face its own fair share of pain and strife and death and who were no doubt looking around and starting to realize that being a community of faith was not all sunshine and roses. We can hear the tension in our story today. Our passage begins just after Jesus has shared some hard news with his disciples, news of pain and strife and death. Jesus has told the disciples for the third and final time in Mark's gospel that the Son of Man will be given over to the chief priests, and that he will be condemned and killed, and that after three days he will rise again. He shared this same thing with the disciples two other times in Mark's gospel, and in each of those other times we're told that the disciples were confused. They had their questions. And frankly, we get it. After all, when we're confronted with hard news in our own lives, our first impulse is often to question it, to want a second opin opinion to pretend like it isn't really about us. It's a way of protecting ourselves from the pain of the news itself. But one of the hard lessons of life, friends, is that simply ignoring something 
doesn't make it go away. Just ask the people of Syria. And we get the sense in Mark's telling of this story that it took until at least this third time hearing it for what the reality of what Jesus had been saying started to set in. Because in our story today, instead of questions or confusion or denial, the disciples are not reported as saying anything. They were silent. And if we're honest, we get this too. We know that sometimes when we're confronted with hard news, when we're really finally forced to hear it and acknowledge it and accept it, we just don't know what to say. We don't know what to say, and so we don't say anything. Sometimes, friends, we just need that sweet, grace of silence. Certainly this is a lesson our world could afford to hear. A reminder that, believe it or not, sometimes it's okay to be silent. Sometimes we don't need a hundred cannon blasts or a million tweets or a full running commentary of every last detail. Sometimes we just need Silence. Imagine how different our world would be if each time a child was born we had a moment of silence. It might make some kids harder to ignore. But just as in our world, in our story, The silence doesn't last forever. James and John, two of the first disciples called in Mark's gospel, two of the witnesses to the transfiguration of Jesus a chapter earlier, break the silence by saying to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's a pretty bold demand. So bold, in fact, that the gospel writer of Matthew changes this passage to have their mother ask on their behalf, perhaps recognizing that it does take some chutzpah to stand in front of Jesus, their teacher, their Messiah, and ask for all of their wishes to be granted. And frankly, if we knew it worked that way, we'd have a few things to ask ourselves. But Jesus, ever patient, simply responds, What is it you want me to do for you? And we think, aha, now's their moment. Now's their chance to get all of the answers to life's troubling questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? What's up with the name Louis? What's the meaning of life? 
And as our excitement starts to build, they open their mouths and say to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. What? What does that mean? They've just been told that their teacher, their master, their friend is not going to be with them anymore, and they're worried about seating arrangements? What gives James and John? But then we remember that sweet grace of silence and take a moment to listen again. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And it starts to make sense. Friends, this is not just about seating arrangements in the heavenly throne room. No, it's about the disciples beginning to express fear about being alone. It's the disciples starting to get what Jesus has been saying to them. Jesus has just told them that he's not going to be with them forever. This man whom they had given up everything in their lives to follow is now going to be leaving. And they're basically saying, take us with you. A chapter earlier, these same disciples had witnessed Jesus standing in his glory as he was transfigured. They'd witnessed a taste of the beauty of God and didn't know how they were going to find that again alone. Do you see? They had been witnesses to what life could be and didn't want to live with what actually is. We know what this is like. We know what it's like to face a long, hard road ahead and just want to be there. Every four years, the United Methodist Church meets to make decisions about the doctrine and practice of our beloved denomination. And every four years, for the past 40, we have failed to affirm the full humanity of gay and lesbian people. And although some of us have glimpsed the possibility of what could be, we are forced to live with what actually is. And if we're honest, we dread it. We're embarrassed by it. We just want to be there. But that's not the way life works. No. For better or worse, a big part of the way of life taught by Jesus Christ is life itself in all its gory details, with all its highs and lows. Friends, our faith is about life, not after death, but right now. And Jesus understood this. 
He understood that our faith is not about earning a place in this, at the table in the sweet by and by. It's about opening a place at our table right now. In other words, life is not a means to an end. It is the end itself. And make no mistake, what we have been given as a people of faith is life. New life. Precious life. We've been given an example of what it means to fully and fruitfully live. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. But here's the kicker. New life takes work. It takes work. It takes not just accepting the world as it is, but working to help it become what it could be. Jesus responds to them, you do not know what you're asking for. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? In other words, be careful what you wish for, because when we skip the hard work and jump straight to the end, we miss out on the most important part. Life. Not a life free from pain, but life nonetheless. It was announced this week that the Reverend Stephen Heiss, a United Methodist minister from my home, Upper New York Annual Conference, will be brought up on charges for performing multiple same-sex marriages, one of which was for his own daughter. It's an example. Reverend Heiss is an example of someone who doesn't just see the world as it is, but is working to make it what it could be. And in so doing, has found life. Friends, there is and will always be pain and strife and death. It's part of life. But there is always also the possibility of new life. And whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we have a part in that new life, a vital part. And if we don't live into it, no one else will. Not wanting to hear what Jesus is saying, the disciples respond that they are able to drink the cup and be baptized with the water. But again, Jesus says to them that you may be able to drink the cup and be baptized with the water, but in the end, it's not his to grant. This is admittedly strange language, applying that Jesus doesn't have the power to snap his fingers and make things happen, but we also know it happens to be true. 
we know that we've been given freedom to live in this world. We know that God doesn't cause pain and strife and death. No, those things are part of our freedom. In other words, the promise of our faith is not that bad things are not going to happen to us. No, they will. The promise is that we won't have to face them alone. Do you hear? We are not alone. Surely the language of the cup and the water in this passage is a reminder. After all, Mark's audience would have certainly recognized these two symbols of the Christian faith. These two sacraments that remind us over and over again that we are now the body of Christ for the world, that we are a part of God's family. As the epistle lesson for today reminds us, we are God's children now. What we will be has yet to be revealed. It's a reminder, an important reminder, both that we are not God, but also that we're not only children. Or said another way, we might not be able to sit on the throne of God. But as Howard Thurman might have reminded us, we have certainly all been given a crown to grow into. In the example of Christ, we have had a crown placed over our head, which for the rest of our lives we will keep trying to grow tall enough to wear. Friends, we might not be heirs to the throne of England, but each of us, by virtue of our birth, has been given a crown. Surely that's worth a little celebration. Do you see? James and John saw what they thought they wanted to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, and like so many of us, wanted the end without going through the means to get there. And in so doing, missed the point entirely. As Christians, we are not called to a destination. We are called to a journey a way of life. And by not granting them their wish, Jesus has offered them a chance at life. We're told that when the other ten disciples heard that the conversation was going on, they became angry. We don't know what they were angry about, but it was enough that Jesus had to remind them again about the way of life they'd signed up for. He reminds them that there are those in our world who lord power over one another, but that they are called to serve one another, to care for one another, to love one another. In other words, he reminds them again that whatever they do, They do it together. And as many of us have learned in recent months, we can face a lot if we don't have to face it 
alone. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that we are not alone. Our passage today ends with these words from Jesus. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is that which frees us from captivity. Friends, what is it that holds us ransom, that holds us captive? What is it that keeps us from fully living? Is it money? Is it family? Is it fear? Christ is our ransom. Not as some sacrifice sent from God, but as one who frees us from captivity. He breaks us out of our bonds and shows us how to fully live. He takes away the identities that society keeps trying to place on us and reminds us over and over again that we are all, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, children of God. All of us, young and old, black and white, gay and straight, male and female, royal or common. which means we have all been given a shot at life. Will it be easy? No. Like having a baby living as a person of faith in the world means having some late nights. It means taking unwanted responsibility. It means shelling out a little hard-earned cash. And yes, it means putting our hands in things we never wanted to touch. But the truth is, we couldn't live any other way. Amen. We come now to a time of prayer in our worship. I invite you to assume a posture of prayer, to remain seated, to stand, to kneel, to come to the communion rail. Find a position that allows you to pray and support the prayers of the community. As our choir leads us in the call to prayer, lead me, Lord.
As God's people called to love one another, let us pray for the needs of the church, the whole human family, and all the world. I will submit petitions concluding, we pray to you, O God, please respond, hear our prayer. That churches of all traditions may discover their unity in Christ and exercise their gifts in service of all, we pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That the earth may be freed from war, famine, and disease, and the air, soil, and waters cleansed of poison, we pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That those who govern and maintain peace in every land may exercise their powers in obedience to your commands, we pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That you will strengthen this nation to pursue just priorities, so that the races may be reconciled, the young educated, the old cared for, the hungry filled, and the homeless housed, and the sick comforted and healed. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That you will preserve all who live and work in Boston and in this region in peace and safety. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer, that you will comfort and empower those who face any difficulty or trial, the sick, the disabled, the poor, the oppressed, those who grieve and those in prison, we pray to you, O God, hear our prayer, that you will accept our thanksgiving for all faithful servants of Christ now at rest who with us await a new heaven and new earth, your everlasting kingdom, we pray to you, O God. Hear our prayer. Merciful God, as a potter fashions a vessel from humble clay, you form us into a new creation. Shape us day by day through the cross of Christ your Son until we pray as continually as we breathe. And all our acts, our prayer, through Jesus Christ and in the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And as children of God, we are bold to pray the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
we welcome you once again to the nave of Marsh Chapel. We hope you'll take a moment to help us get to know you better so that we can help you know one another a little better by just putting your name and contact information in those red pamphlets in the middle of the aisle on the pew. That would be such a great help to us. Please do that. We're so delighted that you are here. We'd like to make just a couple announcements. One is that directly after the service in the basement, there'll be refreshments and fellowship you're all absolutely welcome to. Next Sunday, being the first Sunday of the month, will be a potluck Sunday, so you definitely want to make it to that. And bring your favorite dish. If you have any questions, please contact Rachel Cape. Next Sunday, we'll also be continuing our series on pulpits of Northern Methodism with our very own Dean Hill, so we hope to share with you all then. For all other upcoming services and activities, we'd encourage you to keep an eye on our website at bu.edu chapel where you may also find an opportunity for online giving. Let us turn our hearts towards generosity as we welcome the ushers forward and reflect on Domine Secundum Multitudinum by the choir. During this offertory time, please stand.
you in whom we live and move and have our being. It is out of your life that we give these gifts of money back to you, symbol of our lives, of time, life energy, resources, and devotion. Bless and multiply them, we pray, that the giving may become receiving and the receiving may become giving. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Go now in peace, in joy, and in hope, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Amen. <laughs>